Hey everybody, hopefully you're having a great Sunday. But I apparently, if you're probably gravitating towards this channel, you're probably not having such a great day. Topic for today is gonna to be when winning feels like losing. I had a client who recently went through this and thought it would be a good, a good topic to hit because I'm sure a lot of you are gonna be experiencing this. <clears throat> so on that, uh, I do wanna say, if you want to get the SMS notifications when the show goes live, text DSD Live to 844-598-0012. That's DSD Live, all one word, 844-598-0012. And that will add you on to the SMS notification list, which I was just recently or informed that it actually does work in Canada, where I didn't think it did. So it's starting to have more broad, broad approach, broad appeal. So if you want to catch a live show, that's the way to do that. If you're listening to this on a replay or on Spotify. Anyways, so uh, it looks like we got a couple people in. So I appreciate you guys hanging out with me this, uh, this actually, I guess, afternoon. So on that, so let me get, get my, my stuff set up. When <laughs> winning feels like losing, when winning feels like losing, you know, one of the things that's really tough on this is that when you're drugged through the meat grinder, when you're dragged into this nightmarish experience with an adversary who enjoys chaos, the first thing you have to understand or recognize is that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're under a tremendous amount of stress and trauma. And as a result of that, that's going to basically feel like all your nerves are on fire. I think a lot of us, when we start this whole process off, when I say process, I'm talking about a divorce with a high conflict, toxic, narcissistic ex, especially when you have kids involved, even if you don't have kids involved, they'll find unique, unique ways a lot of times or oftentimes to go after assets and money and whatever is, what's the word? Whatever they're entitled to. I had to, I couldn't remember that. I had to, I had to think about that one. And what it feels like the entire time they're doing it, it feels like they're taking their finger and they're just boop, jabbing it right in your eye. And as time progresses, you feel like you need some justice, you need some stability or equality, equality, equity in the way everyone is experiencing these things. The problem is that it feels so unfair because it is unfair and you want a crushing victory. You want the other person to feel the pain and defeat like you're feeling it. Now, the problem with this or the, the difficulty is people like this typically enjoy the chaos. So while you are you losing your mind and you're feeling incredibly stressed and anxious and all those wonderful little feelings, they look like water is just rolling off their back and they're enjoying it. And in a lot of ways they are. They enjoy the chaos. They enjoy having you wiggle around and being able to control your emotions. You're equating it to how you're feeling and what you would think would be an action or a response that would make them understand that this is all chaos. The fundamental, the fundamental thing that you must remember, they, they enjoy the chaos. That is equivalent to their happy space. Wherever what you might like to do, like maybe you like to go sit next to a river and throw a pole in the water and listen to the waves, you know, hit the beach. 
they enjoy the chaos and making, not making, and that is where they feel more, the most comfortable and at home. And again, going to my next bullet here, this entire thing is emotionally, financially, and mentally draining. You will probably experience some of your darkest times on this. And this is this right here is the crux of why when this is over, even if you feel not, let me back up. Even if you did win, quote unquote, you don't feel you don't fear. <laughs> you don't feel like it. And a part of that issue is, which rolls into the next point, is comparing the past to today. Comparing what you thought was going to be your future and now the trajectory of it saying, okay, well, you were on this, you know, you were on a, you were on a, a trajectory like this and now it's completely, might even be going down, probably is. I know for me it was. And you're holding on to what you thought the future was going to previously be. This, my friends, is a really difficult thing to uh, come to terms with. Unfortunately, and, and here, here's the thing on this. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. When I was going through this, None of this happened easily. None of this was like, oh, I had this epiphany and everything is great now. No, it was very difficult, hard fought, slow trudging victories, emotional victories to start feeling like I was taking my life back. Getting caught in this mode where you are comparing your life to what you expected it to be is is a, is a losing proposition. Which goes into the next point of, I say be baselining. I mean re-baselining your life. In my older videos, I used to talk about that. The whole point about that is it's kind of a project management term. Whenever things start going south and your timelines get messed up, you have to re-baseline where you're at to readjust where you're going to go and what your success point's going to be. This, that is incredibly important because it helps with the previous item because it helps you stop comparing yesterday to tomorrow. Sometimes I will still do that as a joke almost, you know, just because it, it, it's weird. It doesn't have the same emotional effect. It doesn't have the same emotional effect that it used to have on me. Now it's kind of like, you know, it's almost, I mean, it's like I can laugh at it. If I, but if I really wanted to make myself angry, I could focus, laser like focus on, on that reality and just constantly remind myself of what, you know, what is, what I've lost, so to speak, and what's, what's all transpired. You have to rebase on your life. You have to say, okay, you know what? It, it, you know, it's interesting, and I'm going to pause and shift for a moment here. It's interesting because there's a lot of things that can happen in life that can completely change your trajectory. You can lose a job. Your industry could go away. Your retirement could get obliterated for some other reason. You could have a health emergency that completely changes everything. Maybe you know, you can't work your career anymore. You're on disability or, you know, and you're on a fixed income and everything that you were striving for is now washed away. Technically, I haven't had that experience, so I can't, I can't say from experience that how it would, how you would process that. But I do think, and maybe I'm incorrect in this assessment, and I would love to hear your your thoughts on this. I do think that whenever you're in a relationship with somebody who you thought you loved, who you thought loved you, and when they are the active participant in the destruction of everything, 
I think it makes it more difficult because you're like, you know, you did this. You created this chaos and it never needed to be. And that is absolutely true. I don't know. I've talked to countless people who this person has made every decision possible to make this as much of a freaking nightmare as they possibly can for no reason other than the fact that they can. <clears throat> and, that, and that makes it really tough, right? That way, when you are, let me go back over here, when you are comparing the past yesterday to today, you're wrapped around the axle that this person has flushed everything down the toilet. This person has made everything as complicated as possible. And then typically what a lot of time what happens is once it's over and they've achieved as much victory as they possibly can at your expense, oftentimes then they are then, not always, but sometimes they are, oh, let's be friends. Why can't you let it go? That was yesterday. <laughs> and, and, and just to be clear, once you understand what you're dealing with, do not ever let your guard down around these people. Now, unfortunately, you may have to at some point think, okay, you know, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. They are acting like a normal human being. Things are better. I don't know how many times I fell into that trap and what I was greeted with was a big boop right in the eye. A big boop right in the eye. I would love to say that that only took me one time. I, was, I had such intellectual and mental prowess that the first time that that occurred, I was able to go, oh, I now have you, I now have you pegged. Unfortunately, sadly, that happened <laughs> more than once. Uh, I hope for you guys that that is not the case, that you can quickly determine what you're dealing with, put up the appropriate boundaries to limit your exposure to the boop, so to speak. Finally, last item on this for the main topic of today, you absolutely have to give yourself time to process and grieve what has happened. I can, I can say over and over again that, you know, your life may be, or, or, you know, you've, you've pointing out the victory points, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, you are going to have to process the whole thing. And, and this is coming from a coaching client I've been working with for a while who just finally had an agreement in court, you know, and he feels like he's been torpedoed. And I'm like, um you realize every point that she was pushing you on, she lost. She wanted full custody, full decision-making, zero time with dad, lost. Wanted an absorbent amount of money in maintenance and support. Maintenance denied. Child support obviously was, but significantly less. You know, I mean, it, it was like on, on every data point, it's like, um, you did better than you expected. Now, let me just go back over here to the second bullet. If you're watching this, the video of this, you want, we want a crushing victory. We want the person to be, you know, cowering in a corner begging for mercy. <laughs> Unfortunately, especially in family court, that very rarely happens. So you have to recognize the victory points that you do have and not diminish it. I did the same thing. I'll tell you when I, when my thing was done, I, it was very similar, you know, X wanted all the money, wanted to leave, take the kids out of state. I'll just sit, you know, full, Legal, full physical, our soul legal, soul physical. 
even to the point that whenever the, the thing was done, she was going around telling everybody that she was, had, had that, that was, that was fun. And the reality is, is that it was such a painful process that even though now I can look back and I'm like, man, you know, I, you know, I, I took some hits, but, but she, you know, I cleaned her clock in a lot of ways. It didn't feel like it. And I had friends say, dude, you won. You've got 50, 50 custody. You know, you're paying her significantly less, you know, can't leave the state can't leave the area. You won, but it didn't feel like it. And it took a long time for me to actually be, actually be able to look at the scenario or look at the situation and realize that I actually did pretty good. So on that, curious what you guys think about that discussion. I got a few people in the comments. If you guys want me to cover any particular questions or topics, just uh, do at DSD and put a question. Uh, you know, triple Q. I've heard people doing that lately. So I know you're trying to get my attention. So I see that the wise chat manager is on. Hello, all. Hello to you, wise. Glad you can make it. Anders B says, hello, DSD. Merry Christmas. Finally, I can see your live show. Now it suits your European time. Yeah, I'm going to, I think this next week I am going to attempt to do a morning show for me. Uh, I got to do something for me personally just to try to hit a reset because I'm, I'm finding myself in bit of a, in bit of a bind. Maybe bind isn't the right word, but but I got to do something to try to reset some stuff. So I'm thinking maybe that might might be a way to kickstart my my day and or week. So watch out for that. <laughs> Paul D, thank you so much, sir, for the super chat. Says you're like therapy. Thanks for all your hard work. Well, thank you so much for the support, Paul. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, April R says happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays to you. Uh, the Y says, the problem is there really is no win. That is true. As long as you're stuck in the process, you're still getting the proverbial shaft. Just sometimes a few <laughs> a few inches less. Uh, that's a, that's a, thank, thanks so much for that, Wise. That's, that's hilarious. Apples. Apple says, I'm in a similar, uh, I'm in something similar. She just moved a third time before our court date in April. Yeah, court's so tough. You know, and the person I was working with, I mean, they they were ready to go to trial. And they didn't actually. They ended up coming up to a a settlement before. So, and I'm still kind of surprised in that particular case why she agreed to what she did, but... Something happened. NH Rebel says, hi, Dwayne. Hello to you. Ted says, hi, Dwayne. Uh, how do you handle Christmas? Uh, Wishless teenage girls are acting entitled. Well, unfortunately, that is un- could potentially be a very typical attitude of a teenage child, period. Um... See, this is the tough part with all of this because there's so many moving parts, right? Typically, a toxic narcissistic ex is going to do everything to try to generate a wedge issue. And so on that, what I'm saying is, is I would not recommend if your kid, especially at this time of year, has been a complete brat, to basically say, well, you've been a brat, so, and, you know, entitled. And as a result of that, here is your lump of coal. Because that, in my mind, is a trap that's 
your ex is waiting for you to fall into so that they can then leverage that to try to torpedo your relationship even more. So I think in that scenario, what I would do is, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to go completely crazy. I think most of us are pretty much broke anyways. So going crazy isn't really an option. When I say crazy, I mean, it's like, look, here's a, uh, well, I can't, you know, here's a, a brand new iPad Pro and a new computer and, and here's a phone and, you know, I mean, just thousands of dollars worth of stuff because we probably only have a small budget. I mean, but do something. Try to make it special. Try to make it to where it doesn't turn into a nightmare that your ex is then able to leverage to try to torpedo your relationship even more. You know, I mean, I guess technically in my scenario, my kids had such low expectations. Actually, that was kind of frustrating because I swear to God, it seemed like I would really try to do the best I could with the limited budget I have. And, but the ex could, could go buy the kids a half used box of, you know, Kleenex and they would be like, Oh my God, this was so great. And I'm just like, what? So, you know, just try to have the best time that you can. You know, obviously if they come over and they're just being a complete asshat to you, for lack of a better word, you know, you, you do have to, you have to balance boundaries, but you have to balance the boundaries with wedge issues. Let me know if that makes any sense. Kevin says, DSC, I was thinking you write on the female, let me try to read this again. I was thinking you write on the female covert narcissist, giving, given you were raised by a covert narcissist by then married one. Oh, write a book on the topic. Okay. Sorry, man. Kevin, yeah, you know what? Actually, there was a period of time where I was planning on writing a book. I probably st should still consider that. Um, obviously, I haven't. But uh, yeah, no, that's a good idea. Thank you, sir, for that. I appreciate it. M says, the winning or not winning perspective has really opened my eyes. My ex wanted me completely obliterated and out of the picture, and they lost. They may have one more time. They may have... They may have one more time than I did, but they lost. I think he meant one as in W-O-N. Yeah, it, it, and a lot of us, uh, perspective is key on this. It is so easy to, how am I trying to say this? It's so easy to ignore certain things and focus on, on the bad parts, and unfortunately, there is typically a lot of bad parts, that it just, it, it just keeps dragging you down. Perspective is really important. And looking for the little victories is really important. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who will say, you know, I, I'm dealing with parental alienation. I'm like, okay. And I said, you know, the kids, you know, they do this and that. I said, all right. And then I'll ask this question typically. <clears throat> How are the kids with you when the ex is not around? That's great. Okay. So they, I mean, it's like <laughs> you're winning, right? It's, and I know that uh, I think Ted's not having this for the most part. And I know we've had a few people who, uh, over the course of the years, whose, whose kids are so focused on what the ex is saying that they make, they make the situation a living hell. I mean, you guys probably remember there was a gentleman on the East Coast who his kids, every time he had them, mom had them convinced that, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to go to dad's house and they would refuse to get out of the car and would just scream and just sit in the car, refuse to get out, yell and scream until he finally would take them back to, to their mom. Now, that's a situation where the parental alienation has really kicked in. You know, but if you, if you have your kids and when no one else is around or, you know, basically the other side isn't around and they're affectionate with you 
and they say, you know, they tell you that they love you and they demonstrate it, then you're doing much better than you think you are. Anyways. The wife says the real win comes via the kids. The courts are an artifact of that if you're lucky. That right there is so true. And a lot of people will say, ask me, you know, it's like, well, how do things change? And the reality is the way things change is when the kids no longer stay quiet and no longer will just let, let the toxic parent continue to, to control things. That's when things change. It's when they're younger and they're scared and they won't voice, you know, the, basically because of omission, it empowers the toxic parent. A prime example I used to have of this is the kids would say, oh, I want to do, you know, it wasn't even necessarily with me. It would be like a, a, a trip, you know, with the after program or, you know, summer camp thing. It's like, you know, they're going to go down to L.A. to the Science Center. I'm near Los Angeles, by the way. Kids would be like, man, I really want to do that. I'm like, okay. And I would ask the ex, hey, this is happening on your day. And that was typically the problem is like, hey, the trip is on your day. Can the kids go to that? And the response always was typically, you know, after midnight. Keep in mind, this is back whenever she wasn't working or anything like that. So it wasn't like, you know, she was working an all night shift. And then that was a, the time it was, it was all done on purpose, you know, waiting until the Larry last second to say, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, thank you for your interest, but little Timmy doesn't want to do that. You know, and I'm not going to force them to do anything they don't want to do. Right. And then what I ended up having to do in that scenario is I just told the kids, I said, look, I'm not fighting this anymore. You tell me that you want to go. I ask your mom. She basically says, N O no. And puts me in the middle. So unless you're going to advocate for it, I'm not doing it anymore. And for the most part, they didn't. It wasn't until much later. Actually, there was one time much later where there was a trip that uh, all three kids said they wanted to do. Then, you know, they, they started dropping off and the youngest was like, I really want to do it. And the ex's answer to, to thwart that <clears throat> was to give like a two-hour window on an event that took an hour to get there and an hour to get back. I mean, this stuff is just so stupid, you know? I mean, it's no, you know, I mean, it's just, they, they love chaos. I remember on that one, I actually called, you know, hey, sorry, pumpkin. You know, I, I guess you guys have something going on. So hopefully it's pretty good. You know, what do you guys got going on? Nothing. I mean, I knew it was nothing. I mean, it was, I probably shouldn't even have said anything. But, uh, yeah, good times. Kevin says, DSD, have you had narcissistic bosses? Yes, I have. Supervisors? Yep. And colleagues? Yep. All of the above. And what I will tell you, Kevin, what, what was interesting about this is prior to this experience, I normalized all those behaviors. I thought it was normal. I made excuses for it. It wasn't until after this experience and then having the epiphany of what narcissistic abuse actually is. Hold on, let me see if I can. So, and on that, a cluster B person is somebody uh, in the diagnostic and statistical man manual, the DSM. Right now, it's, I think it's still five. I don't think they've gone to six yet. It encompasses the antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. And I even have a breakout of what those behaviors typically, typically consist of. But the benefit of this experience, this nightmare experience, is it allowed me to understand that these behaviors are not acceptable. They are not normal. And you do not have to, well, 
with I guess at work you, you there is a little bit of more of a complexity to it because you are forced in that situation your only option is to leave most of the time but I what I will say is that I started treating people or interacting people differently colleagues that I realized were toxic who at some at one point I might even considered friends I started minimizing my interaction with them because it's like it's not worth it I, I started looking at life differently and asking the question you know does the do I want this in my life and then if the answer was no then what do I do to start rolling this out of my life so Kevin that was that was a huge benefit I think in my situation that I take from this painful experience is that it it fundamentally well it fundamentally improved my life and it improved what I would allow in it again curious what you guys think about that M says their tactics never change they just shuffle things around very true but what I will say is what they will do is once they start to understand that what previously worked doesn't work anymore they will shift tactics a little bit to try something new but to achieve the same goal for instance a high level view of this you start this and they're directly poking you in the eye the attacks are are coming directly at you then when you start to put up a boundary on it you start to do no contact or hybrid no contact then they shift to potentially recruiting other people into the drama and then you feel like you have to deal with that and then once you get that figured out ultimately what typically happens is, is when every other avenue no longer works and if you have children then they start doing things with the kids to try to triangulate and create drama and to force you to respond because of the kids very common tactic i'm sorry let me change that very common progression that you have to deal with now if you know it it's still kind of a little bizarre but once you accept what you're dealing with and you understand that this is a type of behaviors that is going to occur it makes it a little easier because you're like oh okay well that's what you know that's interesting i, I was wondering what the next move was going to be or even better is like I was wondering when they were going to move on to that. The, the key on that, I think what you should remember, again, about perspective and about looking at, you know, when you're, you're making a victory point, when they are modifying their behaviors, it's showing that what you're doing is working and they are trying to find a new way to turn that back on turn it back on that's not the right word turn uh, to get you to re-engage with them is what I'm trying to say oh, I do have a question if you would like me to turn on the phone lines let me know in the comments and I might do that I haven't hit the button but I think I can so let me know if you want to do that if anybody wants to call in Ted says, the question is critical, Dwayne. Do I want this in my life? Yeah, and, and it, the hard part is on this, typically I think for most of us what we're dealing with is when it's our children and all they're bringing is chaos and pain into our lives, it's like it's really easy. And I found myself about halfway through this whole process seriously contemplating you know it's like can i really deal with another eight i don't remember what you know it was early it was even before this channel do i really want this to be my life for the next you know x amount of time until the kids turn 18 and it's a very trying time it's very stressful 
And I mean, obviously in my situation, I was able to persevere and push through it, but it's a, it's a, it's a critical point, you know, and that question can make like, like Ted asked, I'm going to bring it back up on the screen. Do I want this in my life? I think the caveat with the kids is, in my opinion, we are the only lifeline these kids really have. If we do not stick with it, persevere through it, and we leave everything up to the toxic person, there's consequences to that. That's where, you know, a lot of us who've had, who did, whose family of origin were, was toxic, were conditioned and primed to seek out a person to replicate that dynamic with subconsciously to then try to prove that you were worthy of love and of a healthy relationship. But the problem is, is whenever you seek out somebody who is not healthy and who is not capable of having that type of relationship, it's a recipe for disaster. I was literally just talking about this to one of my kids the other day about a relationship. And I'm like, look, you know, this is the, you know, the, these type of behaviors are not normal. It was, they had a, you know, interest in somebody and all the red flags were popping out. And I'm like, you have to listen to them. So, and I gave that little, that little speech, which I apparently I hadn't done before because they were like, Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a pattern that repeats over and over and over again. And you do not, I mean, unless you want to, you do not want to get into a romantic relationship with somebody who is going to give you an opportunity to reconcile, you know, problems you may have had (laughs) with one of your parents. Very awkward conversation (laughs) to say the least. Anyways. Oh, Kevin had asked, DSD, how are, uh, has going through narcissistic abuse changed you? Absolutely. I kind of mentioned that. I would say initially, you know, the way it changed me when I was a kid is it conditioned me that this was normal behavior. I, I, I would say the only benefit potentially to it is I learned early on how to read people because I had to read the room, so to speak, when I was a kid to minimize the pain that I was going to go through. You know, it's like, be careful what you say, be careful how you say it. If you say something wrong, how do you deal with it? So you're constantly in this state of anxiety where you're trying to read what's going on so you can anticipate what, you know, what the fallout might be. So that obviously put me in these situations professionally, romantically, you know, and then going through this and learning about, I mean, being forced to learn about this has made my life immensely better. I mean, I'm great in a lot of ways. I'm grateful for the, for the nightmarish experience I had with my ex because it forced me to deal with all of this, all of these shenanigans, all the past trauma, everything that was going on that had gone on from childhood into adulthood that brought me to that point. So, yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely changed me. And I think the reoccurring theme that I've seen is that's what happens to people. Everyone that I've worked with on the channel and other content creators in this, in this space they all say the same thing. It's like once they finally had the epiphany and they started working on those core issues, their life changed in a way that was profound. And their life is so much better as a result of this. And I mean, just to be perfectly honest, had this not happened or had when the relationship started falling apart, if the ex would have realized that the game had quote unquote changed, that I had changed and just pulled it back just a little bit. I would have completely put the mask back on 
And I could potentially still be in that nightmare. Let me know what you think about that. I'm curious what you think. Why it says once you look at people's relationships as an RFI. I'm not sure what that means. Radio frequency interference. I don't think that's what it means. In both directions. If things aren't advantageous to both of you, you know what the issue is. RFI. Spell that out, Wise, because I'm I'm my brain is uh, is stuck on different acronyms. And I think I'm I'm reading it wrong. Ted says this experience has changed my worldview. It does. Kevin says, DSD, do you find that looking back on your work history that you dealt with different types of narcissists throughout your career? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. And probably that's, unfortunately, that probably helped me, um, not helped me, but having that, other people who were really struggling with that because it was absolutely not natural, I could navigate a little better. And I did okay. I do feel bad as time progressed on when I realized what I was actually dealing with and then effectively how I was basically a flying monkey to some of these people and invalidating some of these other people's re, uh, uh, experiences because in my mind it was normal. It's just what you have to deal with. Everyone's like this. Everyone has, has problems. Nobody's perfect. Right, you make all those excuses for it. Then the, now the bad part about it in a professional environment is you can't trust these people. You know they'll they'll hang you out to dry in a moment if it's advantageous to them. So you're constantly. I mean that's the way I was working for years. I was in this constant fight or flight mode. Unfortunately, I could operate in it okay, but it was it was wearing me down. I mean you cannot you cannot live in that kind of constant stress and have it not take a toll on you. Well, unless you're a complete nut job. Kevin says, DSD, what kind of narcissist have you encountered the most? I would say the typical is MPD or the grandiose narcissist. You know, the ones who's always right. You know, no empathy. Well, here, let me, let me just pull this back up. Uh, so pervasive grandiosity, lack of empathy. Very, when it says very sensitive, it means sensitive to taking something personal and then using it to punish you with. Preoccupied with fantasies. Spills, feels special and unique. Requires excessive admiration. Sense of entitlement. Interpersonal exploitive. That's very true. And envious of others. Oh, my God. I've had friends like that that are like, <clears throat> anyways. Yeah, no, definitely. Had to deal with that a lot. Whoa, wrong button. Uh, where did you put that? Request for information. It was our, our request for information. I still think radio frequency interference would have worked too. No, no, it wouldn't. Ted says, I won't tolerate any more BS. Yeah, you just have to be careful. Um, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. But in a work environment, you also have to, you know, you have to figure out how to play the game too. I'll tell you, I, I had a, a boss recently or a couple years back, a few years back, who was a mess. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not kissing this guy's butt. And I had pretty solid boundaries. And I fully expect this is back whenever I had to take a break, uh, took a little bit of a hiatus on the channel because I just had to focus on my job. And the crazy part is, is that uh, that person actually appreciated that and my reputation went up in their mind. It was very bizarre. Wise says the thing that hurts most is when your own family, oh my God, makes excuses for the uh, 
ex's behavior as well as their own. But we have choices. We don't have to allow it. Yeah, it's really tough whenever, I mean, I, I even had to deal with that early on. It's like, well, you know, you're part of the problem. You know, you need to stop. And it's like, what? what <laughs> you know, it's like, what? You know, I mean, so you really got to be careful who you surround yourself with. And the, and the sad part is family should be the one that you could count on the most. Uh, unfortunately, if the if they don't understand, maybe their intentions are okay. If they don't understand or worse, they do understand and they just use it to gaslight you, then that's, it makes it really tough. But bottom line, the wise is right. We don't have to allow it. You can set boundaries. Now, there may be consequences for those boundaries, as I am currently dealing with. But, you know, it to me, it beats the alternative, right? I mean, you can't allow this crap to be invade your life and be in your life all the time. Brenton says, I find I can now pick narcissists within seconds of meeting them both personally and professionally. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, because the, the thing is, these people do the same type of things. They push the boundaries. They they say things. They They do things that when you know what you're looking for, it's like right in your face. You know, and th now the good part about it, being able to do that, is you can minimize your exposure, right? Because sometimes these people can suck you in. And then by the time you realize that it's a toxic interaction, you've already been kind of sucked into the, into the drama. <laughs> Kevin says, DSD, I'm amazed that there is a lot of information on narcissistic women. Man, the internet has real and YouTube and everything has really made it easy to get information out there. And unfortunately, with the way relationships have changed, there's like a an endless supply of examples that different content creators are able to use to just push that out there. So we're living in a very very weird time. It's like a transition, transitionary, transitory time where I don't know where we're ultimately, I don't know where this is ultimately going to go. I don't know if it's the pendulum is going to be able to swing back and things are going to basically be able to get on track. I think some things seriously have to change. You know, um, Divorce laws have to be different. I mean, look at it now. It's like marriages are down. Most people aren't aren't getting into those type of relationships anymore because I think a lot of people realize it's it's a it's it's a dangerous situation to get into. Now, the sad part is is that if you want a family and you want kids and you want that whole package you're going to have to dip your toe into this to accomplish it. But I would say probably most of the people watching this channel who have been through a nightmare, the last thing they would do is even consider risking doing it again. I mean, I, you know, I mean, maybe if you were younger and it's like, okay, well, I didn't learn my lessons and I'm only, I'm in my thirties, so I can do it again. But the problem is, is that, you know, you start pushing that clock out and then if it goes south, what's your recovery time? For instance, with me, uh, got married young, but we didn't have kids until late, right? So our divorce, my divorce was in my early 40s. I think I was 42 or 43. And at the time I had, what, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old and a five or six-year-old which means, you know, now you have 12 years to get out from underneath, you know, the, uh, the purview of family court, you know, so now I'm 53, I think. Yeah. 53. You know, I mean, I initially like going back to what, at the beginning of this, when we were talking about, you know, winning and, and it not feeling like it, my initial plan 
was at 57, I was my early retirement date, I was going to be able to punch out and with my investments and all the different things to adding up, I was going to be able to retire. We by that time we should have owned the house and we could have had a nice, you know, pleasant life. But the reality is is all that got obliterated. So, you know, I'm like, you know, it's like okay, now I I mean it's 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 a tough scenario. Very tough scenario. All right. Let's see. Whoops, I got I to gotta scroll back up. I apologize. M says, did you ever feel like you were counting down until your children turn 18 and feeling like you were wishing their lives away? Hmm. Well, yes, I was looking forward to when they turned 18 to get out from underneath the purview of family court. I wouldn't say that I was wishing their lives away. I think I was more, and this is something I struggled early on with this, is I was more disappointed and frustrated that because of this scenario, the things that I thought I was going to be able to do with my kids, financially, I couldn't. I could give them time. But we couldn't do anything. The only one that really got to that I got to do things with was my youngest, right? And I, and I mean, and that was one of the things where I was talking about this this suit that I'm currently going through. If I would have, I mean, if that would have been a legit thing, <clears throat> and there was a, you know, a contract in effect, I wouldn't have done what I did with my youngest because part of, part of my reasoning for, you know, leveraging, over leveraging, you know, to do the truck stuff and the camping stuff was because I knew that once my youngest turned 18, the likelihood we were going to be able to do, you know, trips and have that time, you know, have the, the breaks between school and the, uh, you know, all that stuff was going to, potentially go away. I mean, not potentially. I mean, it's just life, life takes over. Your kids grow up, they get jobs, they potentially move away, they're doing things to where, you know, it's not conductive or not not going to be an easy scenario to say, hey, let's take a week and go on a road trip. You know, when they're in on summer break, and they got nothing going on. Absolutely, there's a way to do that. So I would say it's a little bit of, of M, you know, I don't know if I answered your question on that, but it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's complicated, right? So let me know if that made sense. I kind of went droned on for that, so I apologize for that. The wife says, I can't wait for my youngest to be 18. Hopefully she'll grow out of the nonsense she's seen. Yeah, and the, and the, the nice part about it is once they turn 18, then there's no, well, there can still be control. I mean, I'm still dealing with that. But at the end of the day, they're 18, right? There is no uh, court order anymore. There is no, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, you can, if they want to, they can do whatever they want. Now, to think that if they're still actively involved with a toxic parent, that the behaviors that were consistent when they were under 18 are going to just magically go away. And that's probably not going to happen. That makes sense. Kevin says, DSD and Brenton, I feel like covert narcissists are more difficult to spot and identify. I would agree. It can take, uh, it can take to identify them. Even a therapist, it can take them a long time to recognize narcissistic patterns. Oh, co well, coverts are those people who they're constantly morphing yeah, I mean, an overt narcissistic person is like, I am the greatest and you will listen to me, right? So it's really in your face. A covert is somebody who's systematically trying to manipulate you, telling you what you need, what you want to hear, gauging how you react to it in real time, modifying it depending on whether you, like if you catch it, they'll pull back. You know, they have that awareness. See, awareness is the wrong word, but they have that focus on you 
to understand if they're if it's working. Now they may not be great at it, right? That's where the crocodile tears will come in where you know, they'll be like they'll they'll cry <laughs> as they're looking at you at the corner of their eye. And if you're like, "Oh, you poor thing." And they know it's working, then great. If it's not working, then they will switch to a different, you know, a different tactic to see what happens. The wise says, I think you're talking about Star Trek. Go the Ferengi method and rent far cheaper for the kiddos. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Was I was I correct that you're talking about the Ferengi from from uh, Star Trek? Was it Next Generation or was it one of the other ones? That's funny. Hey, man, I haven't seen you around in a while. Actually, I, you know what? That's, not, that's a lie. I saw you do a uh uh was it a facebook video or I, anyways so technically i have seen you but not seen you on 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 one of our shows it took me a solid nine years to recover emotionally from the ex's crap well you know what i am going to go re- getting over that dude because i know we've, we've we haven't talked in a while but i know we were talking before you were really struggling with that uh <clears throat> i'm curious if uh how your relationship with your kids are so, but good for you, man. Oh, I like this. Uh, wise asked Tatum, uh, what, what, bleh, what was the event that made you think you finally accomplished the recovery? So Ted says, yes, Kevin, Dwayne has a great video covert narcissism, narcissism, narcissist. <laughs> Easy for me to say. M says, my son is 14 and a half, and I feel guilty sometimes thinking to myself that I can't wait till he's 18 until I don't ever have to deal with the ex, our family court again. Dude, don't feel guilty about that. I mean, you're being run through the fuck, through a, through a meat grinder. You know, it's common to think that, you know? I mean, try to hang on and, and have as much, you know, good times as you can with your son because... You know, 14 is a tough age and it's just going to get, you know, it's, it's just going to continue to get more complicated. So, you know, this is, you know, try to maximize what you can, but there's, I dude, I feel the same way. I kind of went that went over that already. Ted says to Kevin, I dated a covert narcissist this year. Oh, I thought you said when I first read that, I thought that you dated a covert narcissist for a year. Yeah. Hopefully you, uh, you were able to you know, recognize that and eject before that turned into a complete nightmare. Ah, still alienated. Uh, Hatem says still alienated. Sorry to hear that, man. But you know what, though? I think, and I think what you're saying is even with it, even in spite of all of it, you're able to take your life back and you're starting to, you know, rise from the ashes, so to speak. And, and that's the key, right? I mean, that is the key because we can easily get caught up in this trap to where we allow what the ex was able to do to corrupt everything that we're trying to do in life. So anyways, all right, guys. Well, we've been running for about an hour, so I think I'm going to wrap this up. I, my plan, my plan for tomorrow, barring a catastrophe, I am going to try to be here at 6 a.m. Pacific. I'm going to force myself to get up and see if I can get back in that battle rhythm of, of doing that, doing an hour show, maybe do the call-in thing. Uh, so on that, if you're watching this and you're like, hey, there's some topics I would like Dwayne to potentially cover tomorrow, put them in the comments uh, of the video. So I'll check those later tonight in the morning. And on that, on that, thank you guys for hanging out with me tonight, today. I hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. It was helpful. And know that there is a lot of victory points in this, though it may not feel like it. It's all about perspective, and it's all about giving yourself the time to grieve what you've been through and to start taking your life back. The greatest revenge 
and I don't like using that, but I'll just say that, you know, when you take your life back and a toxic person realizes they no longer have the ability to drag you into the pit of hell, it drives them crazy. And on that, I will catch you on the next one. Take care, guys.